Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Contagious is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash contagious. Room service. A knock at Dew's door. He was still shivering as he buttoned up a dry shirt. He should have hopped into the shower to warm up, but there just wasn't time. Too much work to do. Who is it? Margaret, I brought your food. Dew hadn't eaten yet. He'd been so pissed, he hadn't really noticed how hungry he was. He stuffed his shirt into his pants, buttoned and zipped, then opened the door. Margaret stood there in the morning light. She looked good, as always, dark eyes staring back with that combination of kindness and an ever-present haunted look, the result of seeing too many horrors in too short a time. But what really made her attractive was the styrofoam food container she held in her left hand and the steaming styrofoam cup she held in her right. Double cream, double sugar, she said. That's how you like it, right? You're an angel, lady, Dew said. He took the container. You want to come in? Margaret nodded and walked into the room. She looked around, eyes lingering on the suitcase placed neatly in the closet, at the shoes lined up next to the suitcase, and the wet shirt, sport coat, and pants hanging on the clothes rack, each on its own hanger. What happened to you? She said. I took your advice. That's what happened. Dew sat down and opened the container. Plastic utensils were inside, rolled up in a paper napkin. He pulled out the fork and shoveled eggs into his mouth. She sat on the bed next to the nightstand. She looked at Dew's array of weapons laid out there. The forty-five, the thirty-eight, the K-bar knife, the switchblade, the collapsible baton, then casually scooted farther down the bed, away from them. So you were nice to Perry, she said. And then what? You went for a swim? He opened the door and he doused me. Dew said as he chewed. You're kidding. Dew shook his head. Ice bucket, I think. Looks like Amos won his 20 bucks back. Those guys bet a lot? Margaret nodded. They'll bet on anything. That same $20 bill has traded hands at least a dozen times. Must be some guy bonding strategy. It's called having fun, Dew said. Guys don't have bonding strategies. They just do stuff. Like douse someone with water? That's not doing stuff, Dew said. That's being a fucking asshole. Pardon my French. His room smelled like a frat house. I think he's hung over. Bad. Dew stabbed the fork until it filled with the last of the eggs. Kid is a fucking alky, Dew said, just before he stuffed the eggs into his mouth. He hasn't had time to become an alky, Dew. It's only been six weeks since he cut those things out of himself, you know? Dew swallowed half the eggs then picked up a sausage and crammed the whole thing into his mouth. Wow, eat much? Margaret said. You'd be a classy dinner date. I do sort of reek of class, Dew said as he chewed. It's all in the breeding. We ran a full background check on Dawson, you know. Kid used cash for everything except for the bar. But trust me, his credit card bill showed he spent plenty at those bars. Margaret rolled her eyes an expression Dew found simultaneously dismissive and alluring. 
He's in his 20s, for God's sake, she said. Did you spend any time in bars when you were in your 20s? Course not, Dew said. I was busy building churches and helping the poor. Oh, now I can see your halo, Margaret said. I missed it earlier. Bad lighting in here. Okay, so you've got a point. But you know what? Your calm doctory logic kind of gets on my nerves. Do you always have to be right? Doctory. I rather like that word. I don't have to always be right, do. That's just how it works out. He took a big drink of coffee. It scalded his mouth a little, but he didn't care. He felt the heat going into his chest. Well, Doc, I'm afraid you're not always right. I tried it your way and got water thrown in my face. So try again. Why the hell should I? You mean besides the fact that we need a live host to figure out what the heck is going on? Yeah, Do said. Besides that. How about having compassion, Do? How about being understanding? Perry's been through hell. He lost his best friend. Yeah, so what? So did I. And did you beat your best friend to death? Did you nail his hands up with steak knives and write discipline on the wall in his blood? In his entire life, he'd never been around anyone who made him feel as stupid as Margaret Montoya did. At least not without punching him in the mouth. Dew grabbed his shoes and started putting them on. No, he said. I didn't do any of that. Right. So maybe, just maybe, Perry is trying to deal with some things that you can't understand. That shit only floats for so long, Dew said. I'm starting to think he's nothing more than a glorified bully. And the only way to get through to a bully is to give him a whooping. Margaret smiled. It wasn't the kind of smile that said, I bet you'd be a fun roll in the hay, because Dew knew what those smiles looked like on a woman. At least he used to know what those looked like. He didn't get them anymore. This was another kind of smile, the kind a young woman gives to an old man when the old man says something silly. Do, I know you're very good at what you do, but just keep some perspective, okay? He grabbed his dry coat off the hanger and put it on. Perspective? What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Margaret shrugged. Her smile grew a little wider, a little more condescending. Well, look at you and look at him. You're not going to beat any sense into him and shooting him won't work. You already tried that. Do quickly put the weapons in their various holsters and hiding spots. Doc, you stick to the science and doctory stuff and leave the rest to me, okay? She smiled that smile again, then shrugged. Whatever you say, Do. So what do we do next? We have to finish up some things here, Do said. Then I think we're headed closer to Chicago. So far, there was no pattern to the location of the four gates. Chicago seemed as central as the next spot, within quick striking distance of Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. How about you make sure the Margot mobile's batting down, Doc? Dew said. I want us out of here before the local media stops writing about a white supremacist group getting bombed in Marinesco and decides there might actually be another story afoot. He opened the door for her and gestured outside. Margaret walked out, and Dew followed. Detroit basketball. Uncle Donnie, you sit here, Chelsea said. 
She patted the center cushion of the couch. It was Daddy's spot, but Unky Donnie was a guest. She got to sit in Daddy's lap all the time. She didn't see Unky Donnie anymore, hardly ever. Not since he moved to Pittsburgh. She didn't get to see Betty either. That was worse. Betty was so pretty. She had pierced ears. Daddy wouldn't let Chelsea pierce her ears. Maybe in a few years, Daddy would say. A year was such a long time. A few years? Chelsea couldn't imagine that a few years would ever come. She'd never get her ears pierced, never be as pretty as Betty. Unky Donnie sat down in the middle cushion. Right here, honey? Yes, Chelsea said. Right here. And to sit here, you have to pay the toll. The toll? What's this going to cost me? Smoochies, Chelsea said. Unky Donnie lifted her clear up off the ground. Ready? She nodded. They both puckered up and made a mmm noise as they slowly brought their lips together, then made an exaggerated kissing sound as the mmm turned into a loud ah. Unky Donnie sat her on the cushion to his left. Chelsea immediately crawled into his lap. Betty smiled and sat down on the cushion to their right. OMG, that was so cute I could just keel over, Betty said. She leaned towards Chelsea. And where's my smoochies? Mwah! Daddy sat in the cushion to the left. He clicked the remote control. The TV changed from a cartoon to show men in white pajamas shooting the basketball. Chelsea clapped, then leaned back on Unky Donnie's chest. He gave her shoulders a little shake. Honey, do you know what time it is? She checked her Mickey Mouse watch. The big hand was on the 11. The little hand was on the 1, so that was... Not that kind of time, Unky Donnie said. The game, Chelsea. It's time for... Chelsea took a deep breath, sat up, then screamed in unison with Unky Donnie. Detroit basketball! She rested against his chest. Unky Donnie, who is your favorite Piston of all time? Hmm, he said. Well, I've been watching them for a lot of years, honey. I'd have to say Bill Lambier or Chauncey Billups. Who's yours? I like Peyton Manning. Wrong sport, baby girl, Unky Donnie said. Oh, Chelsea said. Then I like Chauncey Billups. Chauncey, baby girl, Unky Donnie said. Chauncey, she said trying the word on for size. I was going to name my puppy Fluffy, but now I'll name him Chauncey. Then you can come and play with Chauncey, Unky Donnie. That sounds like a plan, Unky Donnie said. Daddy sighed. We're not getting a puppy, Chelsea. Don't start trying to get other people to campaign for you like you always do. But Daddy, I want a puppy. Chelsea, we're not going to talk about this now. Chelsea crossed her arms. You're not the boss of me. Mommy came out of the kitchen so fast that Chelsea flinched. Mommy had her heavy wooden mixing spoon in her hand. The spanky spoon. It was still clumped with mashed potatoes. Little lady, if you say that one more time, you're going to get it. Mommy shook the spoon as she talked, flinging little bits of mashed potatoes. But mom, not another word, Mommy said. Chelsea pouted and fell back against Unky Donnie's chest. Mommy nodded once, blonde hair bouncing, then turned and strode back into the kitchen just as fast as she'd come in. 
Chelsea's in a bit of a willful stage, Daddy said to Unky Donnie. Usually, when she doesn't get what she wants, she throws a tantrum. Seems she's on her best behavior because you and Betty are here. Be careful, Unky Donnie said. Sometimes they don't grow out of the tantrum phase. Betty smacked Unky Donnie in the shoulder. Knock it off, geezer. Unky Donnie laughed, and Chelsea forgot all about the puppy. She watched the men in pajamas for a second, then grabbed Betty's hand. Who's your favorite player, Betty? Betty reached up and stroked her cousin's hair. No, I don't know, Dolly. I don't pay that much attention to basketball. If you want to talk about clothes or flowers, then I'm your girl. The way Betty stroked her hair, it was so nice. I like dandelions, Chelsea said. Oh, those are pretty, Betty said. Do you like the yellow kind or the white kind better? I like the white kind, Chelsea said. I like the way they float and fly. Betty agreed with her. Betty always agreed with her, which was very nice. Chelsea had Daddy on her left, Betty on her right, and she was sitting on Unky Donnie's lap. This was just so awesome. She watched the men take off the white pajamas. She thought this was the funniest part of basketball. If she took off her pajamas in front of people, she'd get in trouble. She wanted more ice cream. She'd already had one bar, and that was supposed to be it, but Mommy wasn't in the room. Daddy, can I have an ice cream bar? Don't you mean another ice cream bar, Chelsea? It's not even noon, and I know for a fact that you've had one already. Why can't I have more? I like it. Chelsea, Mommy shouted from the kitchen. Do I need to come in there? No, Chelsea said quickly. I'll stop. She sighed and fell back against Unky Donnie's chest. It just wasn't fair. She watched the men walk onto the court to start the game. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Help is on the way. 40 miles above Chewy Rodriguez's backyard, the orbital finished a probability analysis. The results showed an 86% chance of success, well above the required 75% specified in its parameters. It began to modify the seeds of Batch 17. It also broadcast a message to the remaining hatchlings, the ones that hadn't been able to make it to Marinesco or South Bloomingville in time, the ones that were hidden away. It sent the message to the triangle still growing in hosts from seeds that had blown around for days before making a lucky landing. The message said, Stay hidden. Stay quiet. Help is on the way. Voices. Perry Dossi suddenly sat up in his bed. Steam floated near the ceiling. Every glass surface in the room beaded with water even the alarm clock, which read 4.17 p.m. He still had a hangover, although it wasn't as bad. Hunger hit him like a wave. Maybe that breakfast place Dew wanted to eat at was close by. But it wasn't the hangover that had woken him. It wasn't the hunger. It was the voices. Not the same voices he usually heard. Sort of like that, yet different. They danced away from his ability to define them like having a word right at the edge of your thoughts and not being able to lock it down. Something had changed. Something big. But it was also something small. Did that even make sense? No. And yet there it was. He didn't understand specific words, didn't even know if the message contained words at all. More like an urge without emotion. The urge made him want to hide, to be quiet, to stay away from anyone. Hide and wait. Perry stood up. The room was a disaster. Beer-soaked blankets and a little mountain on the floor. Beer-soaked clothes next to the bed. Ah, for fuck's sake. He'd thrown up on his jeans. The place reeked. He walked to his duffel bag and rummaged through it. Shit. All these clothes were dirty. He'd have to get some of Dew's people to wash them. Perry did the sniff test and found the least offensive t-shirt, sweatshirt, underwear, and jeans. The only score was one pair of clean athletic socks. He carried the clothes into the steam-filled bathroom. First a shower. Then he'd track down Dew. Sir Dicksickle. 
the probe wasn't made of solid material. Not permanently solid, anyway. The whole thing was a collection of tiny particles, each smaller than a grain of sand. A special locking shape, combined with a static charge, made the individual particles act like a solid sheet of material. It was even airtight. Depending on where the bonds were applied to each particle, any shape could be made. This included moving parts like ailerons, containers to hold fuel, and nozzles to direct the force created by igniting that fuel. These parts combined to drive the soda can-sized probe through the upper atmosphere and into a thick cloud layer. High winds pulled the probe first in one direction, then the next. It rode with the wind, using the engines more for guidance than for directed flight. At 6,250 feet, the probe passed through the cloud layer. It identified a target zone and shot northwest. To the orbital and the probe, one place was the same as the next. On human maps, however, this place had a name. It was called Gaylord. At 1,500 feet, the probe completed its final instruction. It sent a charge through every particle that turned off the static bonds. The probe didn't explode. It disintegrated, changing from a solid machine one second to a cloud of grains the next, grains that would spread as they fell and never draw an ounce of attention. The disintegration also released the seeds, more than a billion of them. A light southwesterly wind dispersed the seeds like a trail of thin smoke. Each breathy gust spread them farther, some sailing off on a lone journey, some driven in clusters like translucent contrails or intangible ghost snakes. The seeds spread. The seeds fell. The vast majority of them would land on ground, water, or snow. They would sit there until the elements damaged their delicate internal machinery and they simply became lumps of inanimate matter. A few might get lucky and sit around long enough to wind up on a host, but the odds were against them. Of course, that was kind of the point in releasing a billion seeds at a time. Even with shit odds, a few were still going to land in a suitable place. One of the expanding, ethereal seed trails drifted near a house in the outskirts of Gaylord, close to Highway 32. This house was the home of the Jewell family. The Jewells had had their fill of snowmobiles and basketball, it seemed. Bobby, Candace, Chelsea, Donald, and Betty were hard at work on the winter ritual of building a snowman. Donald even made Bobby promise not to give the snowman a boner, something Bobby had done since they were kids. He always sculpted a prodigious member and called the snowman Sir Dicksicle. Funny? Oh, yes. But hardly appropriate now that Betty was 16. Besides, Chelsea was well into the age where Bobby would have to start acting like a grown man rather than a kid trapped in an adult's body. The strand of seeds rose and fell in the light breeze, dipping to the ground. Half of them hit the snow and stuck doomed to a frigid end. The other half caught the wind coming off the snow and cruised along almost horizontally with the ground. Donald finished rolling up the snowman head and had Betty help him lift it. It was packed pretty tight, but you never knew if these things would hold when they came off the ground. Besides, Betty was being too cool to wear mittens, so having her pick up a big block of ice and snow seemed rather fitting. Bobby wore only a t-shirt and jeans, which really didn't help show Betty the need for proper winter clothing. They'd probably both catch a cold, and Donald would have the last laugh. The only problem with that was that Chelsea wanted to be like her cousin and had also tossed her gloves aside. 
If Chelsea caught a cold, Donald would be pretty pissed at Betty. They successfully set the head on top as Chelsea danced in place, hands clutching a big orange carrot. Her puffy baby blue snowsuit made her look quite chubby. The carrot was the final stroke in the annual snowman masterpiece, who sadly would be Sir Dicksickle only in spirit this year. So naturally, the honor fell to the youngest. Just as Bobby reached down to pick up Chelsea and lift her so she could place the snowman's carrot nose, the invisible cloud of microscopic seeds whipped through the Jewel family. They missed Candace entirely. Bobby's T-shirt proved to be a disastrous choice. He caught seven on his left arm. Donald was turned just so and inhaled three of them into his nose. Two more landed on his left hand. Betty's hat and thick black hair acted as a defense of sorts, trapping the seeds in the wool or amid her hair-sprayed locks. The wind whipped around her head, however, and four landed on her left cheek. One fell off as soon as it landed, but she would still have to deal with the three that stuck fast. If she had been wearing gloves, she would have at least avoided the one that stuck on her left hand. Little Chelsea had the worst luck of all. She made a hole in the snowman's head with her left thumb, then jammed the carrot in with her right hand. As she twisted the carrot, driving it deeper, seeding it in real good so it wouldn't fall off, 15 seeds landed on her clammy, exposed skin, sticking fast to the backs of her hands, her palms, and her fingers. Still laughing, the family finished the snowman and applauded. Chelsea made everyone give her smoochies. Mwah! Mwah! Then they all went inside. You have been listening to Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.